and the reality family of churches. Uh, but today, we're just two weeks away from ending this, this short series through the book of Psalms. And next week is our church anniversary. We're going to end our series on Psalms, but we're going to do it in our church anniversary and use it as an opportunity to cast some vision for this next season. But today, we're looking at Psalm 130. As you know, this book is a collection of poems and songs that capture all the highs and lows of life and direct them into the presence of God. And today in Psalm 130, we wrestle with the frustrating but ever so important theme that I hate so much, and that is waiting. So with that, let us read Psalm 130. Let me read the text and we'll pray together once more and invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know all that we are waiting for in our lives personally, what we're waiting to happen within us and outside of us. And we pray today that by the power of your spirit that you would speak into our waiting. Help us to learn what we need to learn in this season. Help us to know what we need to know in the season of waiting. And help us to become the people that you want us to become in our waiting. As your spirit works within us, illuminates what it is that we need to see, and helps us see Jesus more clearly in all that you've done for us in your son. So would you speak to us, and for anyone here this morning or watching online that does not yet know you, I pray that today they would, that they would trust in you and be saved. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, it was some years ago that I was given a sabbatical season, and in an effort to grow personally, I took up a challenge given to me by a close friend, and the challenge was this. Tim, you read tons of books. Don't read any books except your Bible, a journal, and one book on spiritual disciplines. It's aptly titled The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. They were all laid out and they covered a range from the most profound to the most practical. And I enjoyed it very much. Solitude, oh, love that. Prayer, oh, love it. I loved it all. Until I got to the discipline of waiting. My first thought was like, I'm a parent of three children. All I do is wait. 
It's literally my vocation. Like I'm the parent who's like, I'm in the car. And you know how like, if it says you need to be, like the event says you need to be there at eight. I'm like, so yeah, we have to be there at eight. We arrive at eight. So I'm like in the car, 7.45. My kids are like, what's the hurry? I'm like, because we must leave so that we can be there at eight. Oh, we could just leave at eight. No, no, no. No, you have to be there at eight. Anyone with me? Just please, just fellow, thank you. Yes. Like to some of you, God bless you, time is a concept. You're like, what is time? I just feel like it's not time to go yet. I'm like, yeah, so it doesn't matter how you feel because like it's eight. (laughs) It's like a concrete reality. I'm thinking to myself, why would I need to learn about waiting? But I was committed. And so I read with an open heart and I learned the scriptural lessons. Then I saw some illustrations. It was great. All until I came to the daily suggested exercise. And here's what it was. Go to the store today and deliberately choose to stand in the longest line and talk to God about how you feel. I was like, what? So I did it. It's like the worst. Like if you're like me, as you can already tell, I go and there's like, you know, open registers, but there's the one 10 items or less line. And it's like the longest line. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to stand in it. And within two seconds, I'm like, oh my gosh, this lady has 13 items. I counted them while I was waiting. It's 10 items or less. Like, what are you doing? I'm like angry. I'm like stressed out. And I'm like, oh wait, I'm supposed to talk to God. I'm like, Lord, I don't like this. (laughs) It reveals so much about my character and what's really going on in my heart. And I'm like, what's the point? Something profound, actually. And if I could just put it in a statement, it's this. Waiting well is not just about getting to the end of your waiting. It's about being changed through your waiting. Friends, this morning, you don't need to go stand in a long line in a store because all of us are waiting for something. Waiting to see what happens in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, or maybe on a more personal level. You're waiting to see what's going to happen in your marriage. You're waiting to to see what's going to happen with your job or your next job or the job that you're so frustrated with right now. You're praying and waiting to see what's going to happen in the life of your, your children, your friends, your family. And in the midst of our waiting, it's very revealing. Some of us right now are struggling with unmet expectations, You thought things would be differently at this point, especially in this year. Maybe some of you are wrestling with unfulfilled promises or just feeling overwhelmed by everything that's happening in your life right now. And I'm sure we've all heard that phrase, time heals all wounds. It's terrible. It's literally not true. Time doesn't heal anything. It's what happens in time that can make a change for better or for worse. You will wait. The question is, how? And it's an important question for us because you will either become bitter or better depending on how you wait. And what you understand what God wants to do in your waiting. And let's be honest, some of us make either our best or worst decisions when you're waiting. It's very important. And so for this reason, some authors have referred to waiting as a school. And like school, the point is not just to finish, it's to learn. Andrew Murray, the great Christian writer, thought of waiting as a school, and he said this, 
at our first entrance into the school of waiting upon God, the heart is mainly set on the blessings which we wait for. Yet God graciously uses our needs and desires to help educate us for something higher than we were thinking of before. See, waiting is one of the most prominent themes in the Bible. And we wait in the same way that many have waited before us. And we ask and struggle with the same questions. Where's God? What's he going to do about this? These are the same questions the writer of Psalm 130 was asking. Probably the great King David who himself would have known many difficulties and circumstances in his life. He had family and friends betray him. He had enemies oppose him, seeking to destroy him. And on top of that, all the issues of his own life and his own heart. He was often, like us, overwhelmed with difficulties as he waited for relief. And his words here reveal what we can learn and how we can be changed in our waiting. So I just have a simple word for you this morning, friends. I want us to ask, what kind of change does God want to bring in your waiting? What is it that we need to learn in the school of waiting? I suppose the first lesson is this. What is it that God wants to bring about in our waiting? It's a deeper awareness of our need. That's where we start in Psalm 130. As we read this psalm, we notice that David is in the depths, and he's not the only one. Many of us this morning, you might feel like you're in the depths, and you need to know in the same way that David wasn't the only one, you're not the only one. And of course, there can be many reasons. Certainly, David had many himself. But notice, as he cries out, his attention is not drawn to the depths of the suffering of his circumstance though there are other psalms in which he does just that. But here in particular, he has become aware of one thing that can drag him down far deeper than any outward circumstance could ever do, and that is the undertow of his own sin. He says in verses one through three, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? This is so key because one of the ways in which God brings about change in our waiting is by causing us to become aware of our deepest needs. It is while David cries out in the depths that he also makes a confession of sin. Why? Because as he prays, he understood that he could not stand and plead with God on the basis of his own character. He could not stand and plead with God on the basis of his own performance or his own merit or his own righteousness. So here, the psalmist describes, it's not what's on the outside. Ultimately, it's what's on the inside that could drag us down to the depths. I think this is key because one of the reasons that I often don't experience change in my waiting is because I often disagree with God about where the real change needs to take place. And hint, it's always someone else or something else. Oh, Lord, bring change. And the only way it's really going to happen, the deepest need is for my spouse. Lord, some of you are like, she needs to change. He needs to change. Lord, that's where the real change needs to take place. 
Oh, it's in my church. Oh, man, Lord, you need to change the church. You need to change this county, whatever it might be. Now, on the one hand, the psalmist certainly acknowledges large-scale issues as well as personal circumstances. But what I want to draw your attention to is this. Ultimately, it's not the things outside of you, though they are important, that can drag you down to the depths. It's actually what's within you. The only thing that can truly drag you down to the very depths, to the end of you, is separation from God. And the thing that separates us from God is our sin. And that's why David says, if you were to mark iniquity, I would not be able to stand. Because when we see God for who he is, he's perfect, he's holy. I'm not perfect, I'm not holy. And so he confesses. See, one of the reasons we don't change in our waiting is because we don't acknowledge our own need. So in your cry, in your waiting, friends, do not make your plea on the basis of your own merit or on the basis of your own character because sadly, oftentimes, our plea is driven by our pride. God, you owe me. You owe it to me to change this. Like, I'm praying to you right now, so it's good that you're praying, but you're praying on the basis of what you think that you deserve. God, I've been good over the last few months, so I want the stuff. Oh, God, I'm in the depths, so I want you to deliver me, and I'm asking you on the basis of my own righteousness. Very often, it's pride or it's self-justification. We're not aware of the sin within us, the need within us. We're just looking to everything outside of us, and we're pleading God for him to bring change in that, but we're doing it on the basis of what we think we deserve. I say this because all of us, we have a little inner lawyer inside of us. And that inner lawyer is just waiting to rush to our defense. And when that inner lawyer comes, we have a mini trial in our heart and we always win. (laughs) Right? It's like when you're confronted on a fault, you know, and then maybe it's in your marriage or your friend. Someone's like, hey, I just want to address this issue in your life. And your inner lawyer is like, actually, the plaintiff has six other issues that they need to deal with before they can legitimately call you out on your sin. And you're like, well, actually, as my lawyer and I have confided in one another, this is a good moment for me to bring up your faults. <laughs> and oftentimes, that's the way it is with God. We're like, hey, God, you haven't come through for me. I've been praying for this thing for at least 24 hours, and like, it's not here yet. So like, Actually, you're the one in the dock. I'm not the one in the dock. So you're on trial, not me. How often do we pray with this attitude of like self-justification? And often when we're waiting and we become impatient, we're like, God, if you're not gonna give me the finances, I'm gonna find another way. God, if I don't experience renewal in my marriage right now, I'm gonna find something else that will satisfy me. God, if you don't come through for me, In my job, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. See, it's in the waiting that sometimes we deal with our greatest temptations. Because the things we want to see haven't happened yet. And we're tempted on the basis of self-justification to take the reins of our own life back into our own hands. But listen, friends. If we want something badly enough, we'll find all kinds of reasons. In fact, I would say self-justification is like a gateway drug for a world of bad decisions. Once you've gone there, like, who knows what you're going to decide to next. Some of our greatest temptations come in a season of waiting. And so, 
in our despair or frustration, we tend to take matters into our own hands. But notice where the psalmist begins. It involves a radical honesty about his own heart. And he says, God, I'm pleading with you about this, but as I do, I'm aware of my own need. The true change that needs to take place begins with me. And he recognizes if God were to hold a record of sins against us, none of us would be able to stand. But notice, far from leaving him, like, oh, doesn't that, that's just a downer. Really, I come to church to hear that? But notice, this deeper awareness of his need does not bring despair. It actually brings change. Why? Because look at verse four. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. See what's happening, this awareness of his deep need for sin to be dealt with. He then immediately rejoices in the fact that God is merciful and does not count our record against us. With him, there is forgiveness. It's at the heart of the gospel. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly on our behalf. And on the cross, he pays the penalty that our imperfect record deserves so that we can get the blessing that his perfect record deserves. And when you trust in Jesus, it means that we will not be drowned by our own sin. We will not be drowned by our own imperfections or our own character flaws. And so he actually finds great confidence in his confession. And then with that, in his waiting, he then turns a corner. God changes us in our waiting first by bringing about a new and a deeper awareness of our need. That's one of the things he wants us to learn in our season of waiting. But it doesn't end there. Secondly, God brings about change in us by bringing about a greater affection for himself. See, it doesn't just end with, okay, I'm forgiven of my sins. Great, I'm going to move on. And God's like, hey, go for it on your own and like call me if you need anything. It doesn't end there. It begins with a deeper awareness of our need. But secondly, how we're changed in our seasons of waiting, what it is that God wants to do in our hearts as we wait is bring about a greater affection for him. And it is after knowing this powerful experience of forgiveness, what does the psalmist want in his desperate season of waiting? And where can he find direction? And where should we find direction? He says in verse five, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Now aware that his deepest need is to be forgiven and accepted by God. And the beauty of knowing that he has been, he then directs his affection towards God. Notice how many times he says, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. I believe he's showing this, that if we want to wait well, we must make him the focus of our waiting. If you study the, the Bible for any period of time, you'll learn that Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, it should grab our attention. The psalmist shows us in the clearest way possible that being forgiven by God does not mean that you move beyond God. You don't move beyond Him as a result of being forgiven. You actually move towards Him. And he shows us this even in the language that he uses. He says, my whole being waits, or some translations say, my soul waits 
waits for the Lord. And in doing so, he shows us that he's trusting God with the deepest affections of his heart. This is so important for me and I think for us because there are all kinds of wrong ways to wait. For many people, I would include myself at times, we're not waiting for the Lord. We're waiting for something else. We're just using the Lord's name. Yeah, God, I I know that you're there, but what I really need is this. What I really need is that. And I'm hoping that you can get it for me. It becomes a very transactional relationship with God. We can wait for things pertaining to our ego, perhaps. It could be success. It could be some kind of prosperity. But there are also times where we're praying for and waiting on very good things. I want to see healing in my marriage. I want my kids to know you. This job is killing me and I need a new job. Or I just, I don't know what the next step is. Those are not bad things. Those are good things. Those are things we're actually instructed to pray for. But in waiting for them, we must also remember that even if those things come, they can never take the place of God. The blessings of God are a never a replacement for God. And we must keep that truth in our hearts as we wait, even with good things. I was reminded this, this morning as I was reflecting on this of the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who in captivity, Israelites in ancient captivity, were commanded to bow down and worship the idol of this, this pagan leader. And if they did not, they'd be thrown into a fire. They'd be publicly executed. And when challenged by that, do you not know that if you don't bow down to this idol, you're going to be executed? And there's this famous and powerful line where they say, our God is able to deliver us from this fire. But then there's another line. But even if he does not, we will still not worship your gods. Even if he doesn't do this thing. I believe he's able to do this thing. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to worship idols. How many times in my life has the Holy Spirit had to bring me to that place, even praying for good things, that they don't become like God things? Like, Lord, I'm praying. I want to see this transformation. But nonetheless, I realize that my ultimate motive for change, my ultimate satisfaction will not come with the arrival of a good thing, ultimately. It's only going to come as I set my affections on you. I say this because if we don't recognize this, then we'll see God as kind of a bridge to get to other things. And not only will it disappoint, but we will also not change. And I think that the psalmist here is cluing us in on a very key way in which we change, a key aspect of change in the Christian life. How does change happen? How do we learn to live the life of faith in all seasons, especially seasons of waiting? Affection for God, love for God. My soul waits for the Lord because this renewed affection for God leads to renewed reliance upon God. He says, in his word, I place my trust. As I wait, 
His word is gonna be my guide. And friends, what that means is even if I don't get any other piece of information in this season, I still have the most important information that I need in God's word. Even if I don't get the new information that I need about the next season of life, like if you're like me, I want the PDF from God. I want the divine download detailing out to my expectations exactly what it is that God's gonna do in this next season of my life. In the month of October, you will struggle financially. But in the first week of November, miraculous provision will come. That's what I want. I want the playbook. That's what I want. And yet, it's not how I'll grow. I grow by setting my affection upon who God is, not just what he gives. Affection for God in your word, I place my trust. Is his word guiding your waiting? Or is it something else? Is it the opinions of others? Is it what you read in the news every day? Is it the conversations you have at work? His word supplies the strength we need for waiting. Now, why does he repeat this language of waiting? I think there's a couple reasons. One of them, I believe, is it's showing us that change is a process. Like many of us, we just want to get zapped. Like I want the thing to happen now, right now. Because if you haven't learned already, I'm a little impatient. Just pray for my family. I want it to happen now. But many Huge aspects of our character are changed through a process. I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. But I think he also repeats this to drive his point home about how new affections in our heart are a massive part of being changed in our waiting. And so the psalmist makes a comparison. Notice in verse 6. He's expressing how great this affection is. He says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And what is it that those watchmen in the ancient cities who would wait on the walls, protecting security guards, if you will, protecting through the night, waiting for the sun to rise, what exactly is it that those watchmen were waiting for? What were they longing to see? It was the moment when they were relieved of their duties. That's what the watchman is waiting for. Because once the sun rises, their work is done. They no longer have to fulfill their job. Many of us can relate. You're like, there's only two hours left in my job and I can't wait for that moment. Oh! And what is David saying then? He's saying, more than the relief from any temporal distress that I find is the relief I find in a relationship with God. That's what he's saying. More than the release I would get if this one thing I'm looking for, if my job changed, for example. More than the release or relief I would find once my job changes. More than that is the relief and release I find in a relationship with God. I want this thing more. In other words, the thing I'm really waiting for is God. Mark the repetition, I wait for the Lord, 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 more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than any temporal relief in this life, I'm waiting for the Lord. Meaning, friends, you and I can say because of the goodness of God and as we set our affections upon him, even if I receive some good news today, 
it will never compare to the best news about God because only he can satisfy my heart. And if I'm honest, few seasons teach me this lesson like a season of waiting. I remember about this time, or a little less, last year, we were still living in England. And if you remember, as we've told you the the story, things were a little unclear for a while. Pastor Bijan, who you met last week, he had kind of hit the pause button on the process. And we were like, how's this going to go? Like, when are we going to move? Like, are we going to move? Like, what's happening? And my family and I, we actually had to move like three times. It was crazy. The flat we were living in got sold, but we hadn't made the announcement yet, so nobody really knew. And I would just like cry in the shower every morning. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, what's the deal? Sorry, that was very vulnerable and personal, but there you go. It's like, oh, like, what's happening? What is happening, Lord? Like, ah, you know, like, I just want to know. I just want like, you know, please, I need the text. I need the email. And then I'll be okay. And yet it was in that season that the Holy Spirit just reminded me of a lesson that I know for some of us, you're like, yeah, I know this is so basic, but isn't it funny that some of those lessons are the ones we need to learn most the longer we live in the Christian life? This summer marks 20 years of me being in like ministry. And I find that the biggest lessons I'm learning are the ones that I learned at first, but I continually need to learn. This time last year, I was just like, God, I need to know that my satisfaction is in you even if nothing else changes. I know that you're able to bring this about, but even if it doesn't happen in the way I want, I don't want to bow down and worship idols, and I want to find my treasure in you. Now, by the grace of God, we're in Ventura. Yay! Like, God, you know, was amazing and how all the things that he did, but even those blessings are meant to be like beams of the sun that we like ride up to enjoy the source, not just the gift. It's a lesson I'm having to learn over and over and over again. And what I need to learn, what we need to learn, is to make him the chief affection of our hearts in these seasons of waiting, and we will be changed. Because that's how change works in our lives. This is so important. It's this longing for God, which then delivers me from those lesser desires from other things. It's how change works in the Christian life. This is an important lesson. One way to deal with bad desires, the very things that David confessed earlier in this psalm that he needed forgiveness for and deliverance from, one way to deal with bad desires is to focus on their badness in the hope that they eventually become distasteful. Now, it is true that the Bible does reveal to us the horror and tragedy and truth about sin. We need to know that. We need to see it. We need to hear it. We need to recognize it and understand it. It's in God's word. But that alone will not bring change to my heart. I not only need to see the badness of sin if I'm going to change, I need to see the goodness of God. In other words, my desire for God as he brings it about in my heart, is what overpowers my old desire for lesser things. See, when I was younger in the Christian faith, I just thought I needed to focus on the badness, the sinful ways in which I lived before I was a Christian, the promiscuity and the unfaithfulness and the substance abuse and whatever it was that I was doing at the time. It wasn't just enough to say, oh, those things are bad, which they were. It was God is greater. God is good. He's the one that my heart was searching for. He's the one that satisfies me. Nothing else will. Because 
in order to overcome an old desire, you need to love something else more. That's how it works. Thomas Chalmers wrote on this uh, many, many years ago, older writer, and, and though the, the language is quite old, it illustrates an important point. He says, it is seldom that any of our bad habits or flaws disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that the spirit of adoption is poured out on us. It is then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires. Talk to anyone who wrestles with addiction in the past or just feeling like they were enslaved to something. And most of them will tell you that it wasn't that the old desires disappeared. I'll tell you right now, a lot of those old desires that I I lived out of and operated out of before I was a Christian, many of those desires still arise in my heart. They haven't completely disappeared. The difference is they're overpowered by new ones. I used to be driven in, in just my own promiscuity and unfaithfulness because I wanted what I wanted, but it was as I was saved and I saw the beauty of faithfulness and fidelity and marriage to my amazing wife for the last 20 years. It's the new desire of like, oh my gosh, God is so good and faithfulness is so good. And instead of just living for myself and spending all my time, money and resources on myself, I see how good it is to be generous because my God is generous. And as I set my affection on him, it overpowers those old desires that point inward. The old desires are overpowered by new desires. Or to use his language, the old affections are dispossessed by new affections. My encouragement, friends, this morning is for all of us to say, I wait on the Lord. I wait on the Lord. Can you say, I wait on the Lord more than I'm waiting to hear about my job? Can you say, I wait on the Lord more than hearing about how I'm going to get the money to pay this thing that we need? More than I'm waiting to see how this situation will turn out? One of the things God wants to bring about in us in our season of waiting is a greater affection for him. And it overpowers these these old desires. Though the flesh is still there, it's the Holy Spirit that trumps the desires of the flesh. And we walk in the light and life that Jesus came to give us. Amen? But it doesn't end there. While we're waiting, God is always moving. He has and is always giving us reasons to remember, rejoice, and look forward. And that's the last thing. What is it that God wants to bring about in our waiting? A stronger assurance about the future. Where is this waiting headed? And who is it for? Here at the end, the psalmist gives not just a personal, but a corporate declaration of assurance. He's preaching now here at the end. In verse seven through eight, Israel, it's not just my personal experience. Now everyone, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Remember, you're not the only one waiting. So he turns to all of Israel, and this assurance is for everyone who puts their trust in God. He's saying, put your hope in the Lord in the present, 
and he will preserve you into the future. And notice the, the language that he uses there in verse seven and eight. With the Lord is unfailing love. With the Lord is full redemption. It's a great line. With the Lord. If with the Lord is what we truly need, then the best thing for you and I in our season of waiting is to be what? With the Lord. To be with him. In other words, waiting well is both about what you are waiting for and also who you are waiting with. To use a silly example is going to require me to make a nerd alert confession, and that is, is this a safe place? I love Disneyland. I'm a fan. I love taking my kids to Disneyland. But you know what I hate about Disneyland? A lot, they're the worst. You're like, you just charged me a million dollars, and I have to wait like eight hours. This is horrible. I'm like, where's Mickey? You know, like got some words for you. But you know what redeems it? Over the years as we've gone to Disneyland, we go with friends. And it's as we're like waiting with our friends, we're like catching up, like, oh yeah, this makes this eight-hour line for a two-second ride totally worth it. Because I'm with my friends, and we're talking, and we're catching up, and we're going into our, our relationship. That's what like honestly makes it worth it. Friends, as we're, we're waiting, we're like constantly focused on the particular thing, and it might even be a good thing, something that God has called us to pray for. Yes, but it's as we wait for something, we're waiting with someone. We're waiting with the Lord. And what does it mean that with him is full redemption? In what way is our redemption full? This is beautiful. It's because all of this, in the midst of our waiting, you need to remember that your redemption is full. Notice it doesn't say with him is partial redemption. That'd be kind of a bummer. And with the Lord is sort of redemption. That's not inspiring. It's full redemption. In what way is it full? It's full because God's redemption is both past, present, and future. And ultimately, this is fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you trust in Jesus, he has delivered you from the penalty of sin. He is in the present delivering you from the power of sin. And one day, he will deliver you from the presence of sin. And you will be made new in his new creation. And every tear will be wiped away from your eye. And you will be transformed in the presence of God with all those who believe in him. That's worth waiting for. Amen? With him is full redemption. He has changed us. He is changing us. And he will change us. This is why we should wait on and for and with the Lord. And the more that you learn of and lean on the Lord now, the more confident that you will become about the redemption that God brings in the future. For those of us who are just hopeless about what's happening in the world, your greatest cure for your own heart is to set your affection on God, put your trust in his word, devour it, and you will begin to find slowly but surely a renewed strength in your heart. Because when people say, what are you waiting for? Like, I'm waiting for Jesus to make all things new, and he is. All these themes of forgiveness, new affections, change from the inside out and waiting for our ultimate redemption they're captured in a powerful passage in the New Testament book of Titus. Notice, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness from our past, presence and power in the present, and an unshakable hope for the future. And as we trust in him now, as we set our affections upon him now, his grace teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly desires. New affections overpower the old affections. If you and I, if we're going to be changed, it's gonna hinge on what you're waiting on, what you're waiting for, and who you're waiting with. And as we prepare to pray and to press in at a time of response and reflection and worship, I wonder if some of us are just distracted by what we think is the next best thing. Oh, the next best thing, the best thing that could ever happen in my life right now is this. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your job. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships. Maybe you're dissatisfied with this church and you're always looking for the next best thing. We're all waiting waiting for wisdom about that difficult situation, waiting for breakthrough in that relationship, waiting for healing, waiting for restoration. Might even be good things. But even if you did experience resolve in those areas, they will never be the satisfaction of your heart. The next big thing that we should set our heart on is the return of Jesus Christ. That's how the early church functioned. You want to know how the early church thrived in the days when Christianity was illegal? They loved Jesus. I want us to be a people who love Jesus, who are like, hey, what's the next big thing you're waiting for? And your answer could be, oh, I'm waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, visibly, gloriously, and triumphantly to remake all things. That's what I'm waiting for. And when we were waiting on him, and waiting for him, and waiting with him, we become like him. So today, friends, you are changed as you receive his forgiveness. If you were to mark iniquity, none of us could stand. Jesus paid for our sins. Confess today. Receive his forgiveness. When you take communion in this moment, you can repeat this verse. He himself will redeem us from all our sins. And today, you're changed as you draw near to him. It's why we have this time in our service to respond and to reflect. Some of you are distant from him. And the Holy Spirit is drawing you near. It's because he's inviting you to wait for him, on him, and with him. So let's do that now. And if you're not yet a Christian, and you're here, or you're just joining us online, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He alone will forgive you. He alone can save you. He alone can satisfy you. Amen? Just bow your heads now as we as we pray and invite the Spirit to move in this time of response. And as we prepare ourselves to to pray and as I lead us in a prayer, I invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to shine a light on the area in which God wants to bring healing. Maybe there's a situation I just sense strongly, there's an area where he really wants to give you perspective like something's way too kind of close to your vision and you can't see the forest for the trees. He wants to give you perspective. 
wants to bring healing. He wants to bring change. But it's going to be as you draw near to him. And the way has been opened for us through Jesus. So, Father, may your Holy Spirit right now draw us near to you. Heal us, change us, renew us, forgive us, Lord. If there is anyone here who does not yet know you, I pray that right now they would just say, Jesus, accept me, not on the basis of what I've done, but on the basis of what you've done. Save me. I believe you died on a cross and rose again for me. Lord, we ask that those men and women would just believe right now and experience your salvation. And as we respond now, may your spirit just bring fresh guidance and restoration to our souls as we set our affections upon you. May you do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.